0: hello and welcome to episode 97 of sensational she geek live from enc street my name is anna i am the host and yes this is late because ya bitch is tired and life happens so i am here again today with my husband adam hello adam hi (laughs) thank you um we'll put our i'll put our Uh, Instagram stuff in the description below if you want to check us out. He does a lot of toy photography, action figure photography and stuff like that. And I do whatever I want. Um, So this week, we are going to kind of do a regular thing. It's going to be Tarot Card of the Week is number 10, The Wheel of Fortune. Our Manga of the Week is The Angel Next Door Spoils Me Rotten. Uh, We have a couple of bits of manga news, some things that are ending, and some just fun announcements. Uh, recent comic books. I'm still behind on again. My bad. Uh, but I have a couple of things I can talk about. And then we'll briefly go over what's coming out this week in comics. That's today for DC Comics, which is June 6th. Welcome to June. Happy anniversary. Whatever. Um, and also the 7th, because the DC has just got to be special and be coming out on Tuesdays. We have some brief comic book news, possibly. Uh, a couple of fun things, a couple of weird things, maybe. And then uh, some TV and movies. We'll talk uh, a couple of fun things we've been watching recently. Brief news and announcements and stuff. But primarily, of course, it's going to be the Across the Spider-Verse review uh, and discussion. We watched that uh Sunday night really late. It was really good. Um, obviously, really did fantastic following up for the second move as a second movie. Um, so we'll talk about all of that as we get there. In the meantime, um, I do have a YouTube page. I've been uploading a number of things recently for um action figure review videos. Um, what was it? I did the I did Huntress and some. Oh, yeah. Uh, someone or other a couple of weeks ago and then just recently i did um It was Red Sonia from Loose Collector and the Anya Forger in the uniform, which is a new version that has seven faces, which was pretty crazy. Uh, Storm, that was the other one that I did a few weeks ago, the Moffix, Storm, and Huntress, and then Loose Collector, Red Sonia and SH Fig Arts Anya. And I also put all my podcast episodes on YouTube, as well as pretty much, I'm pretty sure, everywhere else that you can find them. Um, and there's a discord that you can join as well, um, to talk about really whatever, whatever we want to talk about, um, related to the podcast or not. So you can check all of those links and more in the description at the bottom. Before actually that we get into the wheel of fortune card for tarot card of the week. Um, really great mail call today, um, Fez Inkwright is a creator who I will hopefully remember to put the Instagram and or and or website in the description because she's really fantastic. She's an English creator of fantasy art and universes. Um, I just got this. It's related to tarot stuff because it's an oral oracle deck, which is like tarot, but... You can put your own um, symbols and meanings and have as many cards or whatever. It's it's like your own kind of setup for that kind of thing. Um, and this is the Citadel, a fantasy oracle. It is one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. This is not your five below uh, moon phases and crystals oracle deck. This is 60 cards that are each their own piece of artwork. So... I highly check, uh, recommend you check out the deck or the publisher, Liminal Eleven. I know I've talked about them before. Everything they make is artwork, even though a lot of it's books. Uh, it's all art. It's beautiful. Um, And then you can check out Fez Inc. Right? because she also makes really amazing RPG uh, add-ons. I don't do RPGs, but I would start just to have a reason to buy these books these add-ons, these materials, because they are fantastic and just highly creative and just beautiful to behold. Anyway, getting into the Wheel of Fortune, we'll be going through some history for the Wheel of Fortune card. The history notes that I have are are primarily taken from tarotheritage.com, tarot-heritage. Really fantastic blog that I found of somebody who goes through very in-depth and very clearly, um, on the history and the, the, the modern takes of certain cards, not all of them, but certain cards of the major arcana. Um, so a lot, all that's from that, all of the, all that's from their site, Tarot Heritage, the history. Um, and then we'll, of course, go over the description and symbolism, uh, the meaning and the interpretation, some pop culture references, as well as, uh, I have a brief little summary that is also taken from Tarot Heritage that was just, I, as a person who likes to consider myself a storyteller and, and writer of a sort, really appreciate their fantastic kind of way of storytelling each of these cards out. So I just wanted to add in their summary that they put in at the end for The Wheel of Fortune, because it is quite poetic, for lack of a better word, at this exact moment. Starting off with a bit of history and uh verbal floricism. Flores floris flora, I don't know. Life isn't fair. We all experience moments of peace and control with a goal in sight, only to fold into pieces. The Greeks had a go- the Greeks had a goddess for it. Taiki? Teach? I have no idea. T Y C H E. Embodying changeable luck. Blindfolded, she dispenses both good and bad luck inadvertently. Indiscriminately. My bad. I can't read my own handwriting again. Her imagery was heavily used in the Middle Ages, where she spun helpless people in arbitrary fate, perfect for the medieval imagination. The idea comes from The Consolation of Philosophy by Boethys, B-O-E-T-H-I-O-S, I-U-S, in 543 CE, the image of which was reproduced in the earliest tarot decks. This concept inspired the likes of Dante, Chaucer, and illuminated manuscripts. His book is still in print. While not described in traditional terms in his book, the wheel was defined usually with kings seated on it as it ever turns. Clergy and animals were also common. Human-slash-plant-life cycles, the planets, all could be used as inspiration. Skipping forward in history a little bit, Eliphas, Eliphas Levi's Tarot of the Occult, described as described in his 1856 book, Transcendental Magic, Cool. Had similar elements on a new wheel, one where the figures clung to desperately instead of it moving. Waite didn't believe in, later on in history, that's a Rider weight. the Rider weight smith deck, that is A.E. Waite, didn't believe in the myth of Egyptian tarot, but he still used several design aspects of uh, the Levi deck, which had also Egyptian figures. Going back to the book By Bothis, B-O-E-T-H-I-U-S, he was the golden boy of the late Roman Empire who lost everything in a dramatic turn of the wheel in his own life born into an arist- aristocratic Roman family in 480CE he received an excellent education and by age 30 he was rising quickly through the ranks of the Imperial administration in his spare time he translated Aristotle and Plato from Greek into Latin and wrote books on music mathematics and medicine that became standard textbooks his works are considered the foundation of medieval Christian ethics and logic in the year 523 at age 43 he had gone as high as one could go in the Imperial administration, becoming master of offices in the court of Theodoric, the Ostrogoth king who conquered Italy and ruled from Ravenna. The following year, jealous enemies slandered both this and forged incriminating documents. His property was confiscated, and he was imprisoned in Pavia, hundreds of miles from Ravenna. While he was in prison far from friends and allies, tortured and about to be separated from his head, he wrote his classic book, The Consolation of Philosophy, on the stoic Christian way of meeting misfortune with a calm, detached mind. And that was the book that really set into motion, kind of somewhat intended pun, the Wheel of Fortune card as an idea. So thank you, both this. But then, you know, the book's still in print today after almost 2,000 years. So, you know, the wheel did spin back in his favor. He apparently had just been uh, decapitated already. So you win some, you lose some. That's really the point. <laughs> Getting into the description of the card, um, starting with what really is the Rider-Waite-Smith description. Really, that's what we're going to cover here. Um, As I said previously, A.E. Waite did not believe in the myth of Egyptian tarot because it is, in fact, a myth, Um, but he still used a sphinx atop the wheel. It is a solid disk at the center with the letters T-A-R-O, which means something that I didn't write down. it's also a thing where if if you if you go the other direction, it's actually T A R O T. If you go around a little bit more, so you can take it a few different ways. It also has the Hebrew letters of God's name between those letters. Descending figure on the wheel is, or rather, was set embodiment of evil. Evil in Egyptian mythology, Anubis descends as the underworld god. Sphinx the sphinx was the resurrected Horus triumphing over life after death and also instability four creatures from Ezekiel's vision of angels mark the corners there are four corners which are uh, they have the four zodiac symbols those are the same symbols for the creatures who Ezekiel has in his vision Um, Also on the wheel in the center, there are four alchemical symbols for mercury, sulfur, water, and salt, which represents the four elements of biological, which are the biological building blocks of life. The wheel is up in the clouds, referring to it as in another dimension, separate entirely from us. The figures on the wheel are winged figures, and they... um, apparently are reading the Torah, a book of wisdom. Uh, Set is a snake, which is, of course, the symbol of evil, and Anubis is his self, which, of course, is Anubis. (laughs) Anubis. <laughs> and the Sphinx also represents life's mysteries. It holds a sword, which represents mental clarity. And the a, finally, the eight spokes of the wheel are the transcendental energy from God that creates the known universe, apparently. Moving along a little bit into interpretation, according to A.E. Wade in his like 1910 book, I believe it was, the Wheel of Fortune means destiny, fortune, success, elevation, luck, felicity. I don't even know what that means. Reverse, increase, abundance, and superfluidity. Superfluity? Super I don't know that one either. Um this and his medieval wheel warns us not to put our faith in King's Things like money, fame, or social status. Since God spins the wheel, you can only rely on spiritual values. Worldly attachments will inevitably let you down. These days, we like to think we are the master of our own fate, not the victims of supernatural forces we can't control. Getting this card in a reading may tell us that a surprising change is coming up, but we can pull other cards to tell us how to cope with the change or how to stop the wheel from turning so we can create the destiny we want. Rather than an inevitable inevitable disaster, the turn of the wheel can be an initiation into a new beginning. In pop culture, Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, of which Adam is a fan, um, has this another stand, I know we've talked about this many times before, the stands, which are the powers. Uh, this is another one named after tarot cards. The Wheel of Fortune belongs to Zizi, who is at one point a minor antagonist. In the Marvel Tarot, which is a 2007 comic issue that is meant to be like this magical dude's journal and notes of things, many of which include uh, the cards are, or rather the characters who appear on his tarot cards as he draws them. Uh, there are three characters who appear on the Wheel of Fortune card in his deck, which makes sense there are three characters on the card. The characters from the Marvel Universe he sees are Nagali Sardos, Amanda Sefton, and Irene, also known as Destiny of the X-Men. He's got a bit to say about this one, so we'll go ahead and zoom in on this page and start reading it because it's a quite a ooh, quite a bit. Okay. Three women are showing up on this card as well. Unlike the situation with the Priestess card, the Wheel of Fortune is built around the idea of a trio. Past, present, future. The Moray, the Norns, the Weird Sisters. Maiden Mother Crone Now, welcome to the mix, the mother Margali Cesardos The maiden, her daughter Amanda Sefton And the crone, who I believe I am picking up To be the ghost of a deceased This was 2007, remember? Mutant precog named Irene Yay! I don't believe Margali is a bad person. I am I also am not so sure that the description of good really fits either. She is a strong woman who is always certain she knows what's best. Not only is she strong, she is powerful. Much of that power comes from the highly unpredictable extram- extra-dimensional conduit known as the winding way. The Winding Way is a roller coaster ride of mystic power and a rarely used detour off the third path. Usually exogenic magics involve spellcasters following certain prescribed procedures for invoking and petitioning of extra-dimensional entities. In the case of the Winding Way, the dimension is the entity, and the entity seems to be making up the rules as you go along. The way once made Margali so powerful that she was able to create a fully functioning replica of Dante's Inferno, and then a short time later left her barely able to read signs from a cup of tea leaves. The winding road is a little like the Wheel of Fortune. One minute you're riding a wave of success and you're a king of the world. The next minute you're begging for cash to buy a sandwich at Burger King. But then some inadvertently tosses in an Indian head nickel in your hat and you're on your way up again. Sometimes you never really reach the top. Take Margali's daughter, for example. A talented sorceress, she has spent her life in shadows. First, the long shadow of her mother, then the kinder shadow of her famous boyfriend. That's Nightcrawler. Oh, it says Nightcrawler. I knew that. (laughs) Lately, she has been trying to shake off the shadow of a dead woman. That's Ileana Rasputin. But hard as Amanda tries, there is only one magic. And I'm getting reports that the former deceased sorceress is alive again. See notes on justice. That's coming up. We'll get to that. How will Amanda handle being let go from limbo? (laughs) The one I really feel bad for is the poor ghost. I don't imagine Destiny will be resting anytime soon. This generates real power, and I am sure Margali knows best use for it. Really interesting take on this card for sure. Um, I also wonder, whoever the heck wrote this, uh, IRL, um, what they would change about this now that Destiny has returned is that Just her wheel turning back upwards? Did we just come full circle? Another pun! Uh, Finally, in the pop culture references for the Wheel of Fortune, this is a really fun one in the anime tarot by Natasha Iglesias. The uh, archetype that she relates to the Wheel of Fortune is the magical animal mentor. What she says here is the wheel of fortunes analog and anime is the magical animal mentor. Many heroes and heroines are unaware of their profound destinies until a magical animal mentor informs them about their fates. These enlightened creatures reveal just how much magic is at the work of in these characters worlds. They advise and guide those around them toward their destinies. Their knowledge of the language of fate and the karma bound workings of the universe, make them invaluable allies and teachers the examples she gives are, of course, in Sailor Moon, Luna, Artemis, and Diana. In Card Capture Sakura, of course, Cerberus. RE0, uh, RE0, Re isn't it? We already went through this. Starting Life in Another World, it is Puck. Puck's pretty high up on the list for me, not gonna lie. Uh, Puella Madoka, it is Kubi. Ki- ki- uh, Was that his name? Is that how you say it? Kubi? I don't remember. It's been a minute. Uh, and then in Anatsumi's Book of Friends, Madara. And that brings us to our summary of the Wheel of Fortune, again, brought to us by tarot-heritage.com. We like to think we're in control, but inevitably, stuff happens, and it can make us feel helpless and disoriented. Small random events, like a flat tire on the way to a job interview, can send our lives spinning toward an alternate destiny. Sometimes our little lives are overwhelmed by global events like wars, pandemics, and extreme weather. How much control do we really have over our fate? Perhaps due to the New Age belief in reincarnation and the neo-pagan focus on the cycle of seasons, this card is often associated with repetitive cycles, including cycles of reincarnation. The Robin Wood Design Deck Wheel of Fortune card shows someone cycling repetitively through the same emotions. The, car- the artist calls this the emotional roller coaster card. It warns us that we're stuck in a rut, doomed to make the same mistakes over and over again until we get some perspective and detach ourselves from the wheel. Medieval Christians, like Bothas, were advised to disentangle themselves from the material world, accept their misfortunes as part of God's plan, and have faith that whatever happens is for the greater good. Since we have more tools for controlling our destiny and are less at the mercy of natural forces than our medieval ancestors, we take a more proactive attitude towards fate. Rather than wallowing in victimhood, we try to take back control and create the life we want, In another example, the ship's captain in the pirate's tarot deck is not surrendering surrendering to the wind and ocean currents. He has seized the wheel and is using all his strength to keep the ship on course. But the figure of Fortuna in the center of the wheel is a reminder that we are never in complete control of our destiny, even when we think we're the captain of our ship. This card prompts us to look at... where we are on the spectrum of possible meanings. Are we overwhelmed by powerful forces controlling our life? Do we feel that higher powers have it in for us and will never get a break? Are we at the mercy of emotions and blind spots that keep us making the same mistakes over and over? Or do we see ourselves sitting on top of the wheel in total control, arrogantly immune to the disasters that bedevil lesser evils? Sorry, lesser people. (laughs) The ship's captain shows a middle course. Have a destination in mind and a course mapped out. Control the wheel, but have flexibility to change course in response to emergencies and setbacks. Our manga of the week as we kick off that segment of the podcast is The Angel Next Door Spoiled Me Rotten. It was originally a light novel series written by Saki-san and illustrated by Hanekoto, and a manga adaption was created with art by Wan Shibata and a composition by Suzu Yukui with two volumes that have been published. Um, I have been reading this as much as I can however I can, really. Um, it's really cute. Uh, there's another one that's um, kind of in a similar boat that we may talk about in a co- couple of weeks but it's the opposite. It's the boy who wants to be a house husband for the idol. It's cute as well uh the plot for this one amine lives in alone in an apartment the most beautiful girl in school mahiru lives just next door they've almost never spoken despite being in the same class until the day he sees her in distress on a rainy day and lends her his umbrella to return the favor she offers to help him around the house and a relationship slowly begins to blossom as the distance between them closes it's categorized as of course romantic comedy and slice of life and there is an anime series that ran from January to March of this year, I want to say, on Crunchyroll. But there is no English dub for it yet. I'm not mad. Not at all. Uh, it's really cute, though. Um, The kind of trend that kicks, the, the theme that kind of kicks it off is her uh, Mahiru's kind of disgust, but moral concern, moral-based concern about the way that he lives and is just eating convenience store food and doesn't clean up after himself. His house is a wreck, blah, blah, blah. Um, and she sees all that and is like, okay, well I'm gonna, I live by myself too. So I'll go ahead and fix all this stuff for you and you'll just pay your portion of it. Um and it's not that far into it in the English version, of course, I obviously haven't read the light novels. um, it's amazing how many mangas I have gotten into recently that were adapted from light novels, and I just feel like I'm so behind on what everybody else already knows. um, but I'm really hoping it will be getting an English dub soon. uh, the point that I am at in the manga is kind of where she the the two of them are just starting to kind of show the slightest bit of feelings towards each other or curiosity about feelings instead of just more or less using whatever they needed each other for food or, you know, something to do and feel like she's taking care of somebody in her spare time, which she apparently has a lot of. Um So hopefully I guess the the English job won't come out before I catch up with it a little bit more, Um but I am really excited for that. And I highly recommend you check it out as well. If that's the kind of thing slice-of-life uh, kind of story. And of course, it's the classic, convenient thing of the two of them being high schoolers who live, to, who live alone. <laughs> um, it's always very convenient how <laughs> that happens in manga and anime. Uh, but I love it. It's it's fun. A couple of points of manga news. Um, a couple of things that are ending, including Spicy Days by Sagu Aoyama and Kintsuba, and... Something that appears to be called Oikaze no Jean is ending in its next chapter, just like the other one. Um, it apparently focuses on a young man who works for a delivery company and a straightforward and energetic young woman. Okay. Also, Magical Girl Incident is ending in the next chapter by Zero Akabane. Uh, in other news, Chainsaw Man might be ending its final arc, um or final conflict as they tend to say, or at least the Denji part of that story. Did you want to elaborate on that at all, Adam?
1: Um yeah, it was like a, I'm trying to find the picture now. It was some promotional art thing that they put out. Um and the main thing that I'm that I kind of I noticed about it is that Fujimoto is like very pointed in the the themes and like symmetry and stuff. I guess he references in his stuff. In his work. Um, it's a picture of Denji's in a hallway and he's looking back at us as the viewer. And then a lot of times how that's done is when a person's looking back, it's looking back at the past, looking forward in the future. In the future, it's like this dark hallway in an alley and it's a bright light at the end. And the bright light is his two best friends that have long since passed in the manga. Um, and it says something along the lines of like getting towards the end or like wrapping it up. I'm trying to find it now. Um, Okay, I have found it. Um it's a color page this is quote what it says from the little like ad for it. A color page a color page celebrating volume 9 and entering the final stage. Um, and then it's as it's got Denji looking at Aki and Power uh, walking off into the the bright light. It says I I won't say farewell because we will surely meet again. And that's one of the last things that um Aki said to Denji as he as he went on and passed away. Um and, 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 I've kind of seen some mixed reviews from it from the fandom. Um, For me, I feel like it's, it's fun. You know, I, I appreciate stories that get to have a beginning, middle, and end. And it seems very much so that's kind of what this has done. And Denji very much has had, like, he hasn't had a full arc yet, but he's kind of gotten to the point when you first are introduced to him, he's this kid who just wants the bare minimum. I want a job and I want a roof over my head and I want three meals a day. Like, and that's not a crazy thing to ask for, you know, at that point. we Through all the manipulation of Makima and a horrible first relationship, he's more or less gotten that. Um, and, and I'm really enjoying Asa's story in part two, but that's more of, like, getting into it. But yeah, it's really fun to see.
0: On different news of manga, um, since we're going to be talking about Spider-Verse, in a little bit, it's kind of appropriate that we're announcing, not announcing, but we're reporting, huh? <laughs> Spider-Man across Spider-Verse is getting a manga spinoff about, drumroll please, Doc Ock in a schoolgirl's body. Yes. Uh, it says, uh, Shuisha and Marvel Entertainment announced on Tuesday that the upcoming blah, 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 Spider-Man Octopus Girl with a story and art by the duo behind My Hero Academia Vigilantes. Hmm. Uh, it will be launching, launching on the Shonen Jump Plus app June 20th. Uh, it says, The manga story begins when the iconic Dr. Octopus villain, Dr. Octopus, falls into a coma. When he awakens, he finds himself inhabiting the body of Japanese middle schooler Otahu Okutamiya. Maya, Mia. Any thoughts, Adam? As somebody who read the... Superior Spider-Man run when it was happening. Um, Dan Slott deserves all the hate he
1: gets. Um, (laughs) and also, I don't mean to get on a quick Dan Slott tangent, but I am. Um, deserves it. Yeah, he does. (laughs) I saw him the other day, like trying to play the high ground on on people, like you know, being mean to him on Twitter. (laughs) People don't remember when Dan Slott was first on Twitter. He responded to everything, and he called people idiots. He called them shitheads, like. He he can't take the moral high ground on arguing with people on Twitter because he he said some foul stuff to people on when he because because he because I could tell they would get under his skin. I think he's learning time. But anyways, um, Superior Spider-Man probably was the bright bit of his run, but it's, they've just brought it back so many different times under so many different relaunch titles. It just doesn't hit the same. But I'm kind of apprehensive about this because it is basically an isekai, but with. Doc Ock, I guess, because, and then also I've seen a bunch of people say that, like, there's a whole isekai genre of fat, middle-aged men being reincarnated as mm-hmm. as teenage girls.
0: It's not unusual. Yeah,
1: it's not unusual, which that that's kind of makes me okay with it, but I'm just glad it's not somebody like Dan Slott writing, because the first thing that Doc Ock did written under Dan Slott and Pete's body was try to get try to hook up with MJ, and then when she turned him down, because she was like, this feels off, Pete doesn't act like this. He went in and just thought of memories with MJ and you you know what he did with that. So He he got he got himself happy
0: that way. He got,
1: and so that's kinda of why I'm I'm really hoping that this isn't that it's just like yeah, I, I hope normal. It, I hope it's normal. Yeah, and I hope it's <laughs> As cute. Normal. And I hope it's As more or less what the meaning of Superior Spider Man was meant to be. He learns the nobility of what it means to be a decent person and not an old dick. Right, you
0: know? right. <laughs> <laughs> Very briefly, the last thing is just that Manga Up is going to launch the Miss Shakuchi. Wow, Shachiku. Wow, that sucked. And the little baby ghost manga in English. It sounded cute to me, that's why I wanted to mention it. It says, when corporate slave. Fushihara san, it's a couple of those I've been reading actually, works late into the night. A worried ghost named Yuri chan tries to send her home. She helps with her work and brings her snacks while pleading, Be gone now! Fushihara's heart just can't get enough of her cuteness. Be healed by the heartwarming daily lives of Fushihara san who can see ghosts and the caring Yuri san. Yuri chan. Super cute. It's by Imari Arida. I will definitely be checking that out when it has come out in English. The comics that I'm going to be talking about as we begin our comic book segment are Hellcat number three, The Ambassadors number five, and yeah, it's only three. Disney's Maleficent number one, which was really good. Okay, just let me get there. Starting with Hellcat number three, uh, this has been really fun. I have a tiny bit of dis <laughs> critique, I guess, about the art in that in this issue. It felt very loose and, um didn't really match up with itself it was very all over the place but i that's fine you know sometimes patsy looked like shit and sometimes she looked done really well consistency issues maybe i don't know it's probably just marvel being dicks and pushing the artists to go really fast like they we know they do we know this (laughs) um but anyway something's up with patsy and apparently there always has been um It's going into the whole thing, I think I mentioned last time, about her dad says, oh, the devil's inside her, inside that girl when he leaves, and then he comes back and he's made himself a priest, is what they reveal in this issue, and he wants to take her to get take, uh, to, as he says, like, wipe the devil off your shoulder for the, for, for the good, for good, or something like that, um, and then the issue just ends with her, like, demonically laughing, so... And also, you see the reveal that uh, her former lover, who is the deceased man, they are now investigating, and she is partially under investigation for Mamie murdering. Uh, I don't think she did. Um, anyway, he had a camera that would take pictures of, like, what's actually what the true appearance of somebody, I guess. And unbeknownst to Patsy, uh, he took a picture of her with that camera. I mean, she knew he did that, but she didn't know what ended up on the picture, which was her covered in, like, demonic symbols, like, glowy tattoos. Looks sick, honestly. I recommend it. Um, but anyway, another thing that happens is that Patsy dies and comes back again, kind of by her own will. Um, it's, it's gone over pretty quickly. Um... I kind of read it a few times because it went so fast. But yeah, she does die firmly, ends up in hell, talks to Damon, who is, for whatever reason, still a bunny rabbit. Um, I think he got cursed into being in that for some reason, wasn't it? Um, Anyway, talks to Damon in hell, and he's like... Patsy, you don't get it. You don't have to stay here. You can just leave like you did earlier or you did before. And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And he's like, something about oh, we just just, just will it and it'll happen. And she just wakes up in her body and there's people who were like, clearly believe she was dead. Uh, Hedy is there and goes, what are you? Because obviously she was dead um, <laughs> when they arrived and now she is not. So that's something else interesting that happens. It's a little bit interesting, I would say very unexpected, but not necessarily disliked way to handle moving on from her previous suicide. Um, Cantwell, Christopher Cantwell's writing this one, he's written everything that Patsy's been in since her last failed series, I'm pretty sure, <laughs> for the most part. Um, it was the Iron Man stuff, which was really good for her part of it. Um, he did a great job of addressing her suicide in Iron Man. A fantastic, just wonderful issue um, when, when she addresses that with Tony. Um, and then here, it's. I don't think he's really taking a different take on it. I think he's just kind of trying to use it to move forward instead of just dwell with the... I kind of want to say what Kel- the kind of thing that Kelly Thompson was my complaint with Carol in this whole run, which is almost up for Captain Marvel, just pain, torture, pain and torture, pain and torture. Like, this. it's, ra- it's literally wrapping up with those being the themes because, oh, I can overcome it. Ugh. <laughs> After can, can we can we do something just it's just so it feels so it's just too much <laughs> stop it um i don't know how else to say that but it just gets old very quickly and um i don't know i highly doubt that has anything to do with why the series is ending but um it feels like this is what that's what Cantwell is trying not to do with this in that she's had her acceptance. It's something that's still there. And she's still touchy about it. But she's not. Like. Necessarily blaming Damon for it anymore. Um, Obviously a little bit the dude who. Death Urge. Who was the initiator of that whole incident really. But. But she's kind of like. Accepted that it happened. And that she is who she is. Um, Not really moved on. But you know, moved up, moved forward. So I hope that makes sense. On a lighter note, uh, the ambassador's number five. Uh, we meet the ambassador of Australia, who was this really awful politician who was said horrible th- racist and homophobic things. And now that he's dying, he's come out as lifetime gay man, closeted. It's really a funny, like... Because that's kind of true um, it's kind of the way that'd be um, but anyway, so now he's the uh, the ambassador to Australia, and he meets someone in the middle of a mission who. I think I'm like 90% sure is working with his boss's ex, the one who was going to take her down with a traitor. And we're not really sure who that traitor is going to be yet. Cause he's approached all of these characters and we could pretty much assume that this new person meeting the Australian guy ambassador uh, is also working for the ex um, that that was his being approached by the guy who was the ex. Um, but by the end of the issue, we're not really sure, but he does say that he has found his traitor, so I don't know if it's Australia or one of the other characters who he's approached previously, but uh, we know that there's, I believe, this was the final issue, yeah, I'm pretty sure this was the final issue, and then um, Big Shot or something like that is going to be the spinoff where it goes into, I guess, how how they all get killed. <laughs> And then Maleficent. Good old Disney. Um, This was from Dynamite. It was really, really good. It was written and drawn by Sue Lee. It was a very simple art-based story. Um, Primarily, you know, everything was... It was not a whole lot of text. Uh, but what text was there was not misused. It was well chosen. Um, But anyway, really great. And apparently, I thought it was going to be a one-shot. It's a very good, like kind of fairy tale story that you would tell a kid who, um, like Hansel and Gretel was, was a story about, you know, don't talk to strangers and don't eat food people give you and, you know, don't wander off into the woods and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's kind of like that kind of story, <laughs> uh, you know, of, of, learning learning a lesson for kids through <laughs> kind of dark fairy tales. And I guess it's gonna continue uh coming out this coming week. Speaking of this week, it's not actually this coming week, it's it's now, it's happening by the time you're listening to this. Um we got a lot of fun stuff coming out starting on the number ones, we have Hope Number One from Source Point Press by Dirk Manning and Sally Scott. Frank Frazetta's Mothman is from Opus Comics. Loki number one is obviously Marvel. It's by Dan Waters and Germain Peralta. We have some really sick covers by Art Germ. It's Lady Loki. He does great. Mm-hmm. Uh, Todd Knock, Frank Miller, and a Rod Reese variant. Omega Gang number one is from Scout Comics by Matteo Rivolcheccechi and Nicolo Lopi. Wow, that sucked. Uh, Steelworks number one comes from DC, that one came out today, actually. It's going to be a six-issue miniseries by Michael Dorn and Sami Basri. Basri. Sudden Death number one is from Scout by Alexander Banks-Youngman and Robert Ahmed. Kind of a a fun take, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles versus Street Fighter. Comes from IDW and is written by Paul Aller and Ariel Medell. X-Men Before the Fall, Mutant Strike First is a bunch of drama that I really don't want to have to read, to be honest. I'm not really looking forward to it, but there's a bunch of bunch of stuff. Bishops involved, devastating mutant attack. Steve Orlando writes it. He's not my favorite to be honest. Valentina Pinty draws cool Oscar Wernick and Oscar Vega variants. In Hell We Fight is the last number one from Image Comics by John Layman and Jock. Yes, J-O-K-Jock. And then, like I said, Dynamite is putting out Disney Villains Maleficent number two. Again, covered, and I mean covered, uh, written and drawn by Sue Lee. Cover artists are Jay Lee and then Jennifer Meyer, Sabine Riche. Suli, Rebecca Puela, and Erica D'Urso. Star Signs comes with number two. I liked number one. We're on a good swing here. Image Comics by Saladin Ahmed and Kelly Fitzpatrick with Megan Levens. Hairball number three continues with some darkness from Dark Horse by Matt Kent and Tyler Jenkins. And my favorite on this list, because, I mean, if you... If you've read it, you know why. Purgatory Must Die, number five, from Dynamite by Ray Fox and Alvaro Saraseca, the modern purgatory uh, philosophers? I don't know. And it is the final issue. I will pray to the purgatory gods that we get more. Uh, the Ambassadors, number six. There we go. That's the final issue. Mark Millar as joined by Mateo Scalera on this issue, which is from Image. And it's going to be followed up by that one that's name. I'm not sure, but I think it's like a big shot or something. Everlasting. Sorry. Love Everlasting. Number eight is that Tom King Elsa Chartier series from Image and then Dark Knights of Steel finally comes back with number 11, Tom Taylor and Yasmin Putri. This is of 12, which we already know we're going to have a follow-up series to this, which I am already super excited for, because that reveal in issue 10 was bonkers cool. Uh, covers for this one are by Dan Mora, Luda Lulabi, and I apologize for that pronunciation. Immortal X-Men number 12, I do not know if I have the patience to read, but it's by Kieran Gillen and Lucas Wernick, whose art is always great. Trader Colossus comes to light in this issue finally, which may make it worth it. Poison Ivy number 13 is G. Willow Wilson and Marcio Takara. covers by Jessica Fong, Frank Cho, Claire Rowe, Mindy Lee, and Kai Carpenter. Finally, X-Men 23, I may or may not read, Gary Duggan, sorry, Jerry Duggan, and Joshua Cassara, covers by Joshua Cassara, Marta Garcia, Giuseppe Camincoli, Nick Bradshaw, Mark Brooks, Lucas Wernick, Miguel Mercado, and Tiago Da Silva, because I guess they just pay people so little they can afford that. (laughs) Bad joke. I have three points of comic book news that I would like to discuss. We'll start with Marvel, um, because of the tour of DC. Hey, so this one is gonna be really cool. It is called... GODS. I'm pretty sure it's all it's called. But it's a Jonathan Hickman project, which is why I'm excited for it. He is gonna be doing this with... Um, Valerio Shitty. Yes, that is his name. No, I don't know if I'm saying it right. Um, it's, uh, the I'm doing a very bad job at this. If you want to read more in depth than I'm going to be saying about this, I have two articles about it, uh, in my podcast notes, which as always are linked in the description. Um, but there's a couple of godlike characters who are going to be introduced. Um, Wynne was one that was introduced in Free Comic Book Day, Avengers X-Men Number one, it's, I don't know why they even bother saying number one, it's obviously the free comic book day issue. Uh, The others that we'll be learning of are Aiko Maki, a high-ranking agent, brutally loyal to the ways of science and willing to do anything to keep the building blocks of creation in balance. Dimitri the Science Boy, now I know this is going to sound really bad, but give me a minute. Dimitri the Science Boy, Wynn's reckless partner who has a secret mission of his own to discover the dark truth of his past. Mia the Magic Girl, okay, I told you it wasn't going to sound great. A young sorceress struggling to achieve her full potential. Just wait with me here. The Cubis Core, or not the, it's the dude, Cubist Core, a mysterious being of pure corruption seeking to shatter the existing systems. According to Screen Rant, Cubis Core appears alongside Dr. Doom in Giuseppe Cavancoli's cover of Fantastic 4 number no. 10. While this has not been announced, it would make sense if Doom was a major player in the Gods series, seeing as he is the character most known for combining magic and science, often for nefarious and power-hungry purposes. Um, and apparently there are more beings yet to be revealed, uh, some of which will appear in the Hellfire Gala specials which I have very low expectations for because, as I've already said, the outfits are always disappointing. But I told you to wait with me because here is Sixman's explanation, okay? When I came back to Marvel a few years ago, I wrote two series Bibles. The first was House of X. We know that was great, right? The other one was God's. I feel like that's probably all I really need to say, but I'll keep going. To say that I'm excited to finally be able to share this story with everyone is a massive understatement. Gods takes place in its own special corner of the Marvel universe, in the cracks that lie in the intersection of science and magic, and revisit some of the co- characters and concepts that we've reimagined for a more modern continuity-driven audience. I've had the pleasure of working with Valerio Shitty on this for the last year, and watching him bring this to life has been a total joy. Gods is my favorite Marvel comic, one that feels like something old, but pushes with the Marvel universe in an exciting new direction. See, I told you it was worth it. It sounds kind of weird, but he he knows what he's doing. I, 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 he always does, so what else are you gonna say about it? He's great. It's great. So, going on to the DC news, one of which is just kind of briefly going to be covered, and that is the announcement of Kelly Thompson and Leonardo Romero relaunching the Birds of Prey title for DC Comics. Their only character who we know is going to be in that, of course, is going to be Black Canary. I think they're going to be doing a slow reveal kind of thing leading up to the series' launch this fall. Um, but she's got a new outfit and everything. Again, if you want some more details on the series and on, um, Black Canary's involvement in it and Kelly Thompson and Leonardo Romero's thoughts, I have an article in the description that you can check out as well. And that leaves us with a third of three comic book news points. And that is the uh, God, Batman, Callum and Gotham war. Um, which I'm sure, you know, no hate to Ship Sartsky who's writing it. I'm sure this was an editorial choice because all this drama between Batman and Catwoman the past couple of years, which, you know, we, I, I, for, for a minute I thought was settled. <laughs> and then, and then, I don't know, was it Future State? No, it was after Future State. I don't know. Some, some stuff happened and now she was like sleeping with this other dude which I blame Teeny Howard on that one. She's living out her sexual dreams through her comic books, if I'm guessing correctly. Um, but, um... They put in so much time to make Batman and Catwoman a canon couple throughout the history of their histories as characters in the comics, and then now they're gonna do this... Uh, we know, I'm sure, that it will go back to the stat- regular status quo after this. But by God, this is just annoying. Thoughts, Adam. Um. Yeah. It's it's really weird.
1: Like you were saying, they they've worked so hard to like, you know, establish these two as like, you know what each other's basically other half you know Mm -hmm. the end to the yang to these characters and like establish it through various different even like elsewhere stories too, establishing Mm -hmm. that these two are meant to be together and then just have like these weird things of them going back and forth it just feels off and then it's the only thing i can think of is that like it's the weird stuff they do with spider-man too because it's Mm -hmm. like oh make him more relatable Mm -hmm. but who can relate to a billionaire there's not that many people, and, and let's be honest, I don't think many billionaires are buying comics, like, and reading them. <laughs> so, it, it's yeah, it's kind of that whole thing of, like, just let them be together. Because especially at this point, like, if you're going to keep it canon that he has, what is it, like, three, what is it, three or four sons now? One of them is biological, the other three are adopted. It's like, why can't he have a woman that he wants to settle down with? You know what I mean? I don't know. They already
0: yeah. said that he did, and now they're kind of backtracking yeah, on all of
1: it. It's, it's the only thing I can think of is that they were so, like, they were so reactionary off the, the knee jerk reaction of people's reactions to the wedding when even though they should have never marketed it as a wedding. And so mm-hmm. now they're still, what is it, 2023, still trying to fix that of their own reactionariness. And it's like mm-hmm. gotten to this weird thing. Yeah. <laughs> this weird status quo, I'd say.
0: I just hope that it ends with. That uh, that that's it. That's the end of us making this dramatic and stupid. And now it's gonna be fine. Yeah, like I would be totally
1: fine <laughs> if it ends with them just like her, just like take pulling his cowl back and be like this is stupid, Bruce, and they kiss. I'm fine with that. If that's what this is, meant to and they live happily
0: to, ever yeah, after. Yeah, literally. If
1: that's what this is meant to lead to, I'm fine with it. You know, but but yeah, I'm just kind of tired of the. They're together. They're not. They're not. Superman They're like,
0: got married. Come on. Yeah, like, th- th- I mean, like, settled down. You don't. He didn't even really have to to get married. Became yeah. monogamous, and his partner became monogamous with him. I mean, like, I mean, hell,
1: they let Clark and you know Lois evolve to such a point to where his son is literally in his twenties now, about mm-hmm. to take up the mantle. So it's like you can't sit here. and yeah, well, he ha-
0: he's taken up the mantle. He's just number. Yeah. he's just a secondary. He's so, a not- He's another Superman. So you can't sit here and be like, oh yeah, Batman can't have the same or you yeah. know. Yeah. yeah, it's just it's 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 exhausting. <laughs> Plus, this is another Batman centric mini event, I guess. And oh god, do we have to? <laughs> We're gonna talk a little bit about stuff that I've been watching recently. Um, before we talk about brief announcement-type news things. And then Spider-Verse, because I said we would. Um, Demon Slayer Sundays are back. We've had two episodes in English. Yes, I know there's, like, eight out in the dub, the sub, but I I don't, so I I dub. Okay, don't hate on me for that. I am, really enjoying it. I like the weird demon realm thing. I think it's cool. Uh, also, Mashal, <laughs> Magic and Muscles—that was funnier than I expected, and I expected it to be pretty funny. Uh, ten out of ten. We'll probably be reading the manga because that shit's funny. Uh, Oshi no Ko. It was not what I expected. I mean, it, I, episode two, sure. Episode one was not what I expected, or rather, didn't end don't get attached to the purple hair girl because she's not actually the main character just so you know. I didn't know that and it was like a big shock but it's good. I like it. Two episodes I think of that one in English as well I think. Uh, Silo is still great. Platonic was fun. We haven't gotten too far into it. Uh, And we haven't actually started American Born Chinese because we have so many other things to catch up on. We finally started Visions. Star Wars Visions but Anyway, and I did watch 3,000 Years of Longing, which was not at all what I... I didn't really know what to expect, but it was somewhere between a Wes Anderson movie and, like, a low-budget film. I don't know. But it was good. I liked it. Um, Don't go into it if you're expecting any kind of, like, action or like, stuff to happen. It's just people telling stories. Not really. It's a bad description. Good. It's great. It's good. I liked it. Some brief announcements involving anime and the like. Um, Lisa enters the Spider-Verse. You may know Lisa from Japanese pop music and also several anime themes and and credit songs including of course the demon slayer um she is going to be doing the song or rather has done the song uh realize for the japanese dub of into this uh, across the spider verse and to mark the occasion she is receiving unique jacket art on the cover depicting her in the Spider-Verse, she says, The new Spider-Man film will show plenty of Gwen and a strong and cute Spider-Woman who I adore. It is a great honor to be entrusted with the theme song for the Japanese dub. With great power comes great responsibility. The heroes shoulder that burden as they overcome time, space, and even at times their worst, their own fears. I hope you can enjoy Realize alongside those guys and girls as they bust across the scene. Yay. And we'll talk about Across the Spider-Verse in just a second. First is anime news. Um, Bart unveiled Bay Area Rapid Transit anime mascots for FanimeCon weekend, which I think was this past weekend or something. Um, But it says, it describes the new mascots in its latest, it says concerted efforts to meet young Gen Z writers, a growing and reliable writership demographic since the pandemic, where they are in fostering the next generation of transit writers, advocates, and enthusiasts. BART Communications put out an all-call for California-based artists to submit a series of original anime mascots last summer. The open call received nearly 500 submissions. The project credits illustrators Yokura, Niyaro Tofubun's Rollybun Bun and Melody for the designs. And the characters' names are Bailey, Nimbus, Jasmine, Mira, and Barty. Farming Life in Another World is having an English dub released in two days, June 8th on High Dive. I will be there to watch it. Sugar Apple Fairy Tale was a fun uh episode, show, season, whatever. But it is gonna have its second part uh deb- debuting on July 7th. As well as My Happy Marriage, which is going to be deb- debuting July 5th on Netflix. Alright, so let's talk Across the Spider-Verse. Uh, really loved it, obviously. Um, I know that you're going to have a lot of great stuff to talk about. Uh, you made notes. I did not. I usually do. I did not. This is um, full-on
1: spoilers, too. Just a heads up. A
0: lot of the, yeah, full-on spoilers. If you want to no- know spoiler review, here it is. It was really good. It's going into a part two. You should know that going into the movie because a lot of people apparently didn't and were kind of bummed. There
1: you go. I I wasn't bummed, but I was like, oh, man. We forgot. Yeah, I was like, oh, yeah, nice. We're
0: just getting, oh, shit, too big. Okay. Yeah, it's like when
1: I went
0: to see whatever whichever the hobbit movie it was that i didn't realize there was going to be multiple and i was like how is they only just seeing the mountain it's like (laughs) been two hours like come on guys we have a battle to have here that's right because whole other movies don't even don't don't even tell me about how that shouldn't have been i don't care Mm -hmm. um but yes so um yeah and i kind of think it's
1: it the testament stands to how good this movie is, the fact that, you know, we were at the final act and I'm sitting there going, oh, nice. I'm like, it doesn't even feel like I've been here towards for a full movie. I'm getting hunkered and I'm I'm like just getting excited to get into it. And then it's like
0: mm-hmm. that.
1: Um, but yeah, I think I, th- that stands to like how good this movie is. Um, and I, once again, I'll still stand by this. I've said it a couple times. These two Spider-Verse movies have nailed what it means to be Spider-Man better mm-hmm. than what is it, the six or seven live-action movies I've ever done or tried, in my opinion. Mm -hmm.
0: I think what I want to do first is kind of go through the new characters who we meet. Obviously, we'll talk about Gwen and Miles and the different shakeups and stuff with them. Uh, But the new characters, uh, I want to shout out to Chris Anka, first of all. I know I've mentioned him before. Uh, Really, really incredible artist. Has been working on this movie for like five years, I believe, uh, doing the character designs. Um, not so much character designs, I guess, as costume designs is is more accurate. Um, definitely check out Chris Anka's Instagram, um, if you, if you can find that, because it's, it's, he's really incredible, and you get some minor insights to now the behind the scenes of creation of some of the designs, so that's pretty cool. So anyway, um, starting off with possibly, okay, there's two that I think is everybody's favorites, it's obviously Spot and Hobie. Um, well, I guess the three that I really want to go over is Spot, Hobie, and Miguel. Okay, there we have it. Um, because I think they were the three, the three new characters that really mattered. Also, just really quickly, we had it confirmed that Miles's roommate is Genki. I just put air punching in the theater because I felt like nobody paid attention to Genki in the comics ever, and he got a movie reference several. He was in that a couple of times. Really loved it. Perfect. Also, um. Great take on geeky. I loved it. Anyway, so let's start with Hobie. Hobie is obviously um, Spider Punk. Now you said something that was really cool that I had thought of in the theater, but I didn't really think of to say it until you said it. But um, they make a really good point because they do. You know they do it with all the spider characters you meet, right? They throw the comics down mm-hmm. across the screen, and then it gives the little the little bit of intro of them and their world, right? I'm Hobie Brown of Earth, whatever, and I was I'm the only Spider-Man of my world or whatever, you know. Um, and his was really cool because it showed that he doesn't just call himself Spider-Punk. He's not just a dude with a guitar and you know a can of spray paint. Even he actually goes and fights fascists and uh, goes to protests and probably burns stuff down. Proper. British punk rock kind of guy, and it goes uh, a couple of times. He says some things in the movie about like, uh, like I think one of them was when, when when he takes off his mask for the first time, and Miles is like, "I don't know how you're even cooler under your mask," Mm -hmm. and he looks and goes, "I always was," and it's Mm -hmm. like, "Oh my god, I don't like just that, that like neutral. I don't care about anything." but i will tell you the truth to your face without any emotion i don't really know how to say it but it's really um endearing for the character of course in the context that he plays because spoiler alert he is the one who ends up siding i know you wanted to talk about this sorry if i'm mm-hmm. running over your stuff you're fine if he's i know he was the one who ends up siding with miles kind of primary first and foremost before anybody else really does in the conflict of the movie. Um, and then of course kind of saves the day in the end when he goes back and gives uh, Gwen's dad one uh, his, his, and it's homemade. I don't know if you noticed the, mm-hmm. all the, the arcs and everything in the spinny circle were very all, they're all in his style. So he has a homemade universe transporter, I don't even know if he could top being that cool, but they'll probably make it happen in the next movie. Um, really, really awesome. What was the other characters? Then we had... Uh, not Miguel. Spot. Spot. Okay. I knew I knew going into the Spot was going to be great because people were saying the Spot was like their favorite character. Really hilarious use of animation. Um... Yeah, just animation and what you can do with a character with the powers that he has, which is more or less making holes into the other room (laughs) or into somewhere nearby, or it ends up being a lot more drastic than that, of course, when he makes holes in universes. But, um, very, what, 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 what is the, um... The candor running off the tongue. He's he's like Deadpool with the Merc with the Mouth thing, but he's not... Quippy? He's quippy, thank you. I'm great with the words today. He's quippy. Um, but not, like, on purpose. It's accidental. <laughs> Just, like, pretty much everything that's happened to him is all accidental. Including, I, I refuse to believe him getting what he more or less is trying to get to by the end of the movie. Um, and yes, he is one part of the villainhood in this did you have anything you wanted to add about spot um uh, i i loved how like
1: just he was literally like just like i was kind of saying before like we were talking you know off the podcast
0: like, mm-hmm.
1: he was just spot was just this regular run-of-the-mill dude who would just steal money and rob banks mm-hmm. and they did that so well but it also it it kind of shows how you know spider-man's like jokiness can like really cut people deep. And this this guy was a prime example. Mm-hmm. Like, Miles just didn't take him seriously, and that was his whole driving thing. Like, you did this to me, why do you not take me seriously? And mm-hmm. that was kind of his whole driving force throughout the whole
0: thing. And, so it was really kind of funny to see that. And by the time that he makes himself into what he wants to be in the end of the movie, um really great <laughs> horror character design. He's he, he looks very much like a little bit of a joke with like the mildest of horrorness because <laughs> he doesn't have a face and everything. Mm-hmm. But then by the time that the end and he's all like scratchy and it's in a
1: sketchy animation, yeah. It's
0: again them taking such great advantage of their ability to try new things out in animation or or just do new things. Not necessarily be the first, but just do these new things for them in the movie that just don't get done. And you see a lot of that also in the art style in Gwen's world. It looks very much watercolored. colored which, thank you, Rico Renzi, for being the colorist on yes. that series to really ingrain in everybody's minds the color scheme and the difference between 616 of the comics and Gwen's, what is it, 63 or whatever? 62? Yeah. Um, the the kind of, like, the neon brightness and stuff, which it's it's just great, and that's yeah that's another thing that um they they pulled really well to make that artistically shown like a comic but also a movie and then the thing with like the bleeding hair mm-hmm. that was just great the the color changes also they had the watercolors change and get darker in the background as her emotions change very well done with all of that so you want to talk about Gwen some more.
1: Yeah, I, I, I love how the beginning of the movie started off with, with her like just shredding the drums and like kind of telling the story and like filling us in uh, the angst and I love that because it really felt like just like you were saying like the Rika Renzi like thumbprint on it. It yes. really kind of felt like I was reading yes. an issue that he colored in her universe because that was the whole thing why I I, I thought Spider Gwen in the comics was like so fucking metal was that like, you know, she's in this band called the Mary James which just shred on the drums and like that whole kind of like punk rock she you know twips in converse so cool and i love <laughs> that it's like you know brought full into that
0: and that ties great into hobie with the whole yes. you gotta keep out for my drummer are you wearing my converse exactly my- he didn't say converse he said whatever he said he did a converse
1: yeah oh he did okay. yeah um and then the perfect segue um to go into hobie um I was really afraid that they were going to turn him into, like, a hypocrite because most American films love turning the revolutionary mm-hmm. into a psycho or a moron. Mm-hmm. Um, but they full-heartedly stuck the landing with him. And then also it kind of felt moral. like— Morally yeah. centered. I was just going to say it also felt like he was the only person in the spider group that had a moral compass and a backbone. He was the one who would kind of, like—he's mm-hmm. you know, the only one who's blatantly defiant against Miguel. And that's the true nature of punk rock. Yes, sorry, it is, and know. I love it. And um, Daniel Daniel Kuluwale, um I'm sorry if I butchered that. Fantastic actor. From oh, that was Get him. U- yeah. Oh, from nice. From Get Out, from um, Nope, from Black Panther, all kinds of Black Mirror as well. I didn't Dude's know that a fantastic him. actor. So to have him voice the character and actually have him have his authentic, because he was so fucking British, like. I I I grew up in England and I was like, oh man, I feel like I'm back at the pubs again, listening to the dudes talk about the football game. Um, uh, but I also love how um, when when Miles first meets Hobie and after mm-hmm. hearing Gwen pump him up, is like, oh, this guy is so cool. We're a great team together. I crash in his universe and I'm wearing his chucks. You could definitely tell that Miles is jealous at first, mm-hmm, but they didn't mm-hmm. make it the corny love triangle nope. because just like you said, Miles meets him and it's like damn, this dude is so cool. How could I not like him? And then the fact that Hobie looks at him and goes, no, I actually support Miles. Like, Hobie is the only person throughout this Mm -hmm. entire movie, without a doubt, was always in Miles' side and always in Miles' corner. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of like the whole thing. They got that classic cheesy... Love triangle shit, and just got out of the way, and then yeah, him telling Mike, "Hey yo, Mike, you gotta do your poems. You can't do your fingertips." And giving him the signal when he's in the cage yes. that remember what I said. The and then oh. this this is my headcanon. I'm probably not going to expand upon it. The reason why he knows that is because Miguel put him in that same fucking thing too. <laughs> and
0: That was probably the first time. That would have been the first time Miguel was ever like beaten down. So yes. I was like, okay, well, to get you got me that time, buddy. Yes, go back to work. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, and then also here comes kind of great segue. You're awesome with the segues. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Um, this kind of goes into my, my crackpot theory of, Miguel. okay,
0: no, this is not your crackpot theory. This is our theory because okay, you,
1: you like it. You're no,
0: that's cause that's what this was, that was when you said it in the movie, that just made perfect sense. So okay. it's your theory, but I'm 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 gonna pump it up.
1: Okay. So so this is because like I am like I I'm the I am not the biggest Spider-Man fan, but I am a huge Spider-Man <laughs> lifelong. Fan. Fan. Yeah, lifelong Spider-Man fan. Yeah. Um. So the whole thing in the Spider Verse from the comics is that it kicks off because there's this group of people called the Inheritors, and sure. what their whole thing is is they literally feed off spider totems and spider-powered people. It, exactly. They literally they're like these, and they even say it vampires who suck on these, va- these spider powered people. So anyways, my whole theory is theory is that there's, there was a few times wherever uh, miles literally looks at him and says, is he even a spider? Does he use webs? Mm-hmm. Um, there's been a couple, there's like thing. Uh, and then uh, one of the, he straight up says too, is that, you know, I'm not, I'm going to get into the all like the, how he looks and stuff next, but how he says um, he went to a universe where Miguel had a family and was happy and then tried to go and live there and replace him. I firmly believe that this is Morlin. He went to that universe, killed Miguel, and tried to live there. And m- somehow, some way, you know, figured out upon this and finding out all the Spider People.
0: Yes, Morlin leads the Inheritors.
1: Yes, Morlin is like the the inheritor of all inheritors. He's, he's the like one, Daddy. Yes, he's Daddy the inheritor. he's the one that you first see appeared in the dream. Michael Trzewinski run that Spider Man first runs into. Um, this dude actually single handedly like Molly Spider Man like. Beat his ass in Central Park, like almost killed him. It was such a great moment. Like, okay, getting on a tangent about Moreland, but this is to let you know how powerful he is and how this is kind of a big deal. Moreland beat up Spider Man so bad mid fight, Peter goes to hide from him in an alley to call Aunt May and Mary Jane and say this is his last phone call he's ever going to take. Like, that's how big of a deal Moreland was. So that's, and then also the whole thing of, um, I posted it in our Discord, so another reason you guys to join it. Mm-hmm. Um, but as, as there's a scene in the movie, it's, it wasn't Miles, it was some guy in the beginning of the movie, but Miguel like, goes to rip off his mask and eat him. And you see that his eyes go red and pale skin, mm-hmm. just like Moreland,
0: exactly like and Moreland. And that's when, he fir- when you first see him, when he charges in, he stabs himself with a yes. serum or something. Yes. And it turns him back to looking more normal. And
1: yes, and that's my whole thing. And that's basically what the whole inheritor's thing is, is that they need the spider DNA to keep them sustained. And so so this whole thing, he probably—so what it is is my my theory— he ended up somehow getting thrown into into that universe of miguel
0: 2099 yeah the
1: 2099 universe just looking for spider people to eat not even trying to like do that finds him you know eats him gets his power then ends up stumbling upon this thing that miguel was creating the spider society what better way for people who live off spiders to infinitely feed
0: off spiders
1: than to have this
0: entire, he literally has an entire He's He set up a, a beautiful spider totem buffet. That's what they're called spider totems. Yeah, no black widow's not one that doesn't count. Spider wolf. No, it's Woman, actual, yes. like, yes,
1: spider. Like, you have to have like supernatural spider powers. Um, So that's just my theory. Like, what better way to constantly have food for you and all your people than an unlimited number of people with spider powers? Um, yeah, it's really. So, yeah, go
0: ahead.
1: Um, so, yeah. I, I that that's just me because I'm also like a lot of the and then also they've shown that they a lot of these movies are deeply enveloped in the comics and they get a lot of inspiration from the comics and it also kind of needs something more to pull together the all of the spiders than just you know going to save miles in earth 42 which is what I'm going into now um, that was such a cool thing to see like you know, Miguel told him. Yeah, you you're not. You were actually weren't supposed to have this. That spider bit you. No, this was from the big reveal. Universe. Yeah, the the spider that bit Miles is actually from a completely different universe. And got kind of zooped in there like the first like the first. Never
0: supposed did. to bite him.
1: Yeah. So then as Miles escapes from there, they have this thing that scans your DNA and sends you to your universe. Creepy
0: spider thing,
1: yeah. dude. That dude. is gonna
0: give me nightmares. That kind of makes me
1: even more think they're tied into the inheritors because yeah. the inheritors have the big spider thing. The thing is
0: life. nefarious.
1: Yeah. So what ends up happening is, is that since Miles was bit by the spider from a different universe, it changed
0: his DNA. It changed
1: his DNA so it thought he was from Earth 42 when he's actually from Earth 1610. So it sends him there, and then at first I'm like, this looks weird. You end up finding out that in this universe, since there was no Spider-Man, um the, the Sinister Six took over. They're called the Sinister Six cartel. So freaking cool. <laughs> um and then in this universe, it's actually not his uncle who ends up becoming Prowler, it's him. Um, Which is an awesome reveal. Awesome reveal. That that's that's something that's not even from the comics. That's why I love like when they get adaptations and they do their own stuff with it.
0: But you can you can you can taste it as soon as he says to his uncle, like, "I it's okay. I know you don't want to be the prowler." And he says, "I'm not the prowler." Yep, as soon yep. as he says that, the connections are made in your brain, and it's <clears throat> you got the slow reveal of him walking into the room, just just. This huge black it. Air
1: Force One energy, like just like, and then he even has on the braids too, like mm-hmm. pure like AI, like back in the day braids. Yeah, fantastic. Um, so my whole thing is is that it that it that it ends with you know MJ kind of doing a call to arms of the people yes. coming to her. So I think that the first act
0: of the not next a- not MJ. Um... Oh God, I'm so <laughs> Gwen. sorry. Gwen. MJ MJ is like not in the know about this because yeah. Peter Parker will get in trouble. Yeah. Um. So, like, what I think the first act of the next movie is
1: probably going to be the call to arms of Gwen getting her team together, and then yeah. it's going to be them fighting the Earth-42 Sinister Six cartel, which will be kind of <laughs> yeah. cool. Yeah, because they got to save Peter. Yeah, and then I think after that Not is because because I think, like, because this would be split up in the two movies if that's kind of the beginning and you get it all solved in one go. You have to have the second bit of, I think, the Mo- the Miguel reveal. And then Miles eventually going back, figuring out some way to save his father because Spot gives him some vision of seeing his father dying. Yes.
0: So that's pretty much, I guess, the theory of the next movie. Loosely, I did remember two characters we didn't mention, Spider-Woman and Spider-Man India, which I think is what he's called. Um, so just briefly, Spider-Woman, because she was obviously Issa Rae, did a fantastic job, mm-hmm. uh, but she was very much like a one-to-one from the comics Spider-Woman. Yes. W- besides, she's obviously married. She refers to her husband, and Jessica Drew in the comics has never been married. But but everything else, like, appearances aside, like she, I, I, it's just skin color and hair is really all the differences. <laughs> because she's still pregnant. She's still badass Jessica Drew. And the, and, attitude. And the attitude. The attitude, yeah, yeah. They did a really great job of putting her in animation, and it's already did a fantastic job of voicing her. Um, and then Spider-Man India, he is voiced by, I'm so sorry in advance, Karan Sani. Um, you've seen him in stuff.
1: Dope Ender from Deadpool.
0: Dope from Deadpool, obviously, <laughs> is the one that Adam knows. Miracle Workers was another one that he was in, which was really great. Apparently Creep 2, um, and a bunch of other stuff that I haven't seen, I guess. But, oh my god, he's funny! I think he was the cab driver in something once. Oh, God, was that... It was Deadpool. Was that racist? No, because it was a cab driver. uh, Deadpool. (laughs) Um, But my goodness, he is hilarious. The thing that I really loved about them making him, in particular, um, Spider-Man India, because I can't pronounce the name. I'm not even going to try to make myself a fool like that. Um, He is a notoriously, I want to say, twiggy guy. Mm -hmm. You know? And so when you think, oh, they're going to put an Indian guy, it's going to it's gonna be one of the dudes who's like kind of buff and, you know, broader shoulders and stocky maybe. No, they, they put in this twiggy little dude. Somehow that fits perfectly and his voice, ca- I don't know, it's just because I am aware of him as an actor or what, but it captured that perfectly and just drove the, not absurdity, but the...
1: The carefree fun of Spider yes, Man. thank you. Yeah. The,
0: the carefree fun is very good description of that. Yeah, it was really great. I don't know what the terminology is. I'm sorry for the bangles that he was throwing around like webs, but that Those was a really, really cool, cool. Yeah. adaptation. I'm pretty sure his costume was entirely new. Um, I don't think any of that it looks at all like just like no. Spider Punk. They ramped that shit up. They did it uh, with yeah. the costume designs, and even when you talk about. Miguel, uh, Chris Anka changed his design to have that skull at the front, which I think is so cool.
1: Um, and yeah, I'm gonna, gonna kind of circle back around to Gwen. Cause I saw a lot of, um, talk online about, you know, her, the, the, the fantastic scene of her and her dad. And you're talking about the watercolors, mm-hmm. um, about the, them necessarily taking her as like trans or queer. Um, I totally get it. Uh, but Gwen's story is such an obvious allegory for being queer. Uh, the whole struggle of hiding your true self from your parents who don't accept it uh, is a perfect parallel with superhero su- secret identities and a great comparison to make. Uh, that being said, I don't think Gwen is queer per se. Uh, it's an allegory, it's not literal. Uh, to the point to draw comparisons between the two things to help people understand. Uh, but people can headcanon whatever they want. You could honestly make this argument for any superhero character hiding their secret identity, to be honest. Um, and then to, to kind of wrap it up, what Spider-Man movie doesn't involve a struggle of hiding one's true self from friends and loved ones? Um, it's a broad, relatable feeling to most kids growing up. Part of the reason this character hasn't done so well, in my opinion. Um, and then to the, to the main joy of everybody's every Spider-Man fantasy in this movie...
0: Even people who didn't know that she was a thing loved this. You could hear it in the theaters. Yes. We were in a mostly empty theater. You could still tell.
1: Mayday Parker. Um, I am so glad that this has kind of been brought to the attention of the generic movie audience because I even kind of like briefly saw on Twitter people were like, why has Spider-Man never had a kid? Oh boy. Um, so it's it's really cool. They They nailed it with like how like, and then he he what he say he said something about like oh yeah there's no like you know per- parent book to raise kids like us or kids mm-hmm. like her yeah there's no um, parenting
0: book for kids that like us. that was a us. great thing
1: to say to miles and then as he says that Mayday twips around and flies around the room uh-
0: <laughs> i love the bit of um when he's talking and he's holding her and uh Miguel he hands her to Miguel yes, like, hold the baby right, yeah. and he like he only takes her because she's gonna fall and he just yes. like puts out his arms and just grabs her and just yep. holds her out like that and is like <laughs> or just holds her he holds her comfortably it was miles mm-hmm. was the one who couldn't hold her like a, like yeah. a human being um and he holds he kind of just like holds her there and then and then Peter stops like, oh, May. What did he say? Mayday took a dump or something yep, like that. Yeah. And and Hobie goes uh, taking a shit on the on the hi-aki. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> so I love like...
1: that kind of stuff. And then just like any scene that Mayday was in, it just kind of like lit up the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And then I love how like he goes back home, and then he's like sitting there, kind of like you know, Mayday's all tired and he's kind of out of breath. Mary Jane goes, Did you take our daughter on a chase today? But she says, again. Again, yes. Yes. Again. He goes, clearly
0: happened He goes, no,
1: of course not. And it's the whole fun thing that really makes me think of the Renew Your Vows run of, like, MJ wanted so bad for Mayday not to end up being a superhero. But if your kid has superpowers like that, yep. and your husband is a guy whose literal motto is, with great power, there must come great responsibility, you can't help it. And then... You know? And it's just go- so good to see he made her a little web shooter and then she even has her adorable-ass little knit mask. I love that yeah, one. Yeah, when, when they're going into the scene, he's like, all right, are you ready? She kind of goes, eh, makes a baby noise and she pulls down the knit mask. It's I funny, love it, man. It's
0: funny the thing that Hollywood does to try and make people want a baby by making the baby a... Uh, a year old yeah. but it completely understands everything can't talk completely understands and can respond with not words but can pick up
1: on you know human social <laughs> and empathy and stuff like that babies
0: aren't like that but it's cute but it makes I'll sense it. but it
1: makes sense that mayday parker would be like that Let's yes be right and
0: he on. does call her mayday so yes. no editor of dumbacy um you did not create you do not help create that character thank yeah. you very much what was so, his name? Nick Lowe. Nick Lowe. Yeah, Nick he, Lowe, that
1: was for you. The genius got Annie and Mayday mixed up. Two completely different characters.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> Anything else? Um. No, that's it. But I, I hope the pressure of everybody loving Mayday and seeing <laughs> Happy Marilyn Pete kind of like, you know, because, you know, we have kind of started to see the comics do the movie synergy where it's mm-hmm. like whatever's popular in the movie synergy. cough young hot agatha for no reason cough that was so kind of hoping to kind of take note with that and maybe shift things
0: that way not just young hot agatha young hot slutty agatha because that was ever in her characterization no, no, not even kidding. They
1: like, just say like one last thing. Uh, every time I see Agatha, she's drawn like she's a freaking millennial. She's not, dude. She's like, she's like 80 in the 70s. <laughs> she's like
0: over a hundred, probably yeah. easily in yeah. MCU time, Marvel time. And millennials you, are in day. the mid thirties, close to forties
1: guys too. So yeah, just a heads
0: up. yeah, we're thirties. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so that that's it. That wraps up tonight's podcast episode. Sorry it came out late, but I wanted to cover Spider-Verse and we did. I hope it was enjoyable. I'll be back, you know, with any luck, I'll be back in the next episode in a week. Eventually I'll get that Jessica Cruz podcast out because, you know, messy depressy sometimes happens and, you know. Well, I think it's now
1: that it's good that you've seen the movie with her in an adaptation, too.
0: Jessica Cruz. Fuck. Sorry. This man just made a fool of himself. I'm not deleting this reel. (laughs) We're going to end it on that. Ooh, you just got confused, Jessica Cruz and Jessica Drew. They do have a lot, in in, in your defense, it's a lot of Jessicas and J names. Well, I was
1: stuck on the Spider-Verse wave, so. True,
0: true. Anyway. I'll take my card.
1: I'll, you can have my take card. Take
0: my red card. <laughs> here's, my, here's my fan card. <laughs> anyway, have a good week. Don't be an asshole. Enjoy your last bit of spring.